0: Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do come before you once again and acknowledge that we are your children, and we are in need of milk. We are in need of bread. We are in need of more than milk and bread. We are in need of your very word. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So we thank you that through the Apostle Paul, the Holy Spirit, you gave this portion of your word to them, to the Ephesians, to the saints that are in Ephesus, and to the saints that are in Dickinson. And so we ask, O Lord, for your blessing now. As we have gathered in the name of Jesus Christ, we've opened your word, we've heard it read now. We ask, O Lord, for your blessing upon the preaching of it, that it would not be just empty words up here, but that it would be you speaking from heaven through your spirit and word and open our hearts that we would receive and that this would not be in vain, but it would be planted, your word would be planted deep within our hearts. We ask for the hundredfold fruit thereof. We ask for your blessing again in order that you be glorified and that your people would be blessed and that the world would know that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, I think I've talked about this once before, maybe not. Uh, have you ever stopped and thought about how how complex it is to walk? We, you all walked into this building. Um, uh, nobody here has a walker. The only one with a walker is now in Arizona. So nobody came in with a walker that I can. Anybody bring a cane? Nobody came in walking using a cane. So you all walked in on your two feet, and you walked more or less. Well, you ever thought about how many things have to be in place in order to walk? You ever thought about that? Do You know that you can't walk properly if you have a problem with your ear? Did you know that? If, if you have an imbalance in your ear, you can't walk properly doesn't go anywhere near the dirt doesn't go anywhere near the ground but you have your ear has to be working properly what about your neck is your neck involved at all well the nerves all the nerves that run down into your body run through the neck if there's a problem with the nerves here you're paralyzed can you walk if you're paralyzed from the neck the answer is no your neck is involved in walking What about your brain? Is your brain involved in walking? Yeah, that one's kind of more obvious. What about your muscles? What about your bones? All of those things, and there's so much more. How about every soul in your body, and every cell in your body to some degree works together for you to be able to walk? But do we think about that? Do you th- did you think about it today as you got out of the car and you walked here, you were thinking about your feet? And, well, maybe a little bit if it was a little bit slippery, you were a little bit more aware than normal. But other than that, you don't even think about it, do you? No, yeah, we do. We take it for granted. But the point is, is that all of those elements of your body all have to be in tune and working together for you to be able to be normal, to be able to walk from point A to point B. Paul here is speaking about the body of Christ. How does the body of Christ together, we together, are essential? Every one of us is is together essential for the body of Christ to walk through the earth. As one uh, one singer writes, Christ has no body on earth but yours. Not only you individually in Christ, but we as the body of Christ, We are his body on earth. He's in heaven. He rules from heaven. And so we're talking about essentials. So if you notice, the title of my sermon is Essentials of Christianity. Based on the manifold grace of God given to us, that is the church, through Jesus Christ, we are called to conduct our lives or to walk, endeavoring to keep keep or guard the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. In order to walk, the whole body has to be united, working together. And so it is with the church. Our Lord Jesus Christ enables us through his gracious gifting to grow to maturity in this calling. Are you aware of your personal call in this endeavor? And how are you going to fulfill it? Again, stop and think about that. Um, Your legs are not the same length as they were when you were two or one if one of your two legs stopped growing and the other one continued to grow would you be able to walk or run without unhindered the answer is no both legs have to grow at the same rate in order for you to continue to walk if not, then there's problems, and then you have to see a doctor, and then all these things go on that try to maintain and keep that growth. And so Paul is concerned with the growth of the body, the growth of the body of Christ. So let us look at those three elements, those three uh, statements. What is the first one is pretty obvious, and that is is Christ essential for Christianity? This is it one of those. The pastor, what do you think? Of course. What has Paul been doing throughout this con- this letter? He's been focusing on being in Christ Jesus. As a matter of fact, he the, the essence of these first three chapters is in chapter two, verse six. Well, let's back up to four. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you've been saved, and raised us up together and made us sit together. Notice that word, together, together, together. He's talking about the church, not just you and me individually. He's raised us up together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. He's made us to sit together in Christ, in heaven. Seated. So the first verb in the first half of the book, if you want to focus on that, is seated together in the heavenlies in Christ remember that our faith is based upon the objective truth of Christ of the gospel of the word of god our faith is not based upon our faith our faith is based upon what god is and does and so what we've been looking at for the past few months is the blessings in christ chapters 1 and 2 and our position in Christ, who Christ is, what Christ has done, and who am I in Christ, right? Well, who am I? Paul starts with, you are saints, you are set-apart ones in Christ. He has chosen you from all eternity, He accomplished your redemption. He applies that that redemption through the work of the Spirit. Chapter 1, you were dead, but he brought you to life. He seated you in heavenly places. You were aliens and foreigners, but now you are part of the household of God. Christ has revealed the mystery that was hidden from ages. Now the Jews and Gentiles, that all peoples are brought together as one in Christ. We are one people. The people of God. And now we come to chapter 4. Notice he, he then uses that word, therefore. What did we say when we run into that word? What is the author doing? Therefore, because of what I've just been talking about, the based upon the grace of God and the work of God, therefore, I... Paul, a prisoner of the Lord. He just said that in chapter 3. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for you Gentiles. Now he says, I, therefore, prisoner of the Lord, I beg you to now put what I just said to practice. One word. Second verb in the letter. Walk. Walk. And he'll say it again. Walk. And he'll say it again. Walk. It'll say it again, walk, and they will say, don't walk, and walk. Okay, throughout chapter 4, chapter 5, and into chapter 6, he's going to go. It's going to be sounding like a broken record. Walk, 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 walk. Okay. And then the third verb that begins in chapter 6, verse 10, he says, finally, Lastly, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers, of darkness of the sage, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Take up, therefore the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand in the evil day and having done all to stand, stand, therefore. So if you want to summarize the book of Ephesians, it's seated in heavenly places, sit, walk, worthy of the calling you've been called, and stand. Sit, walk, stand. That's the message of the book. I haven't mentioned that before, I think I have. But that's um, a good way to describe what Paul is saying. I am seated in Christ, now I'm called to follow Christ. I'm to walk, following Jesus. That's life, walking through life. And there are times when, during that walk with Jesus, that the enemies attack, and what am I to do? I'm to stand, 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 and stand in the power of of his might so the focus is Christ Christ being in Christ is essential for christianity he uses this phrase over and over again in chapter 1 he used it in verse 4 6 7 10 in verse chapter 2 verse 6 and on and on and on all the promises of god are in in heaven in Christ right now so what should be your response? What should be your response? In Christ I am seated. Now you're seated here in Dickinson, North Dakota, but more importantly, in Christ, you're already in heaven. You're already in position. You're already there. Is that could, should that not cause us to rejoice? Should it? It should. Does it? Oh, pastor, we know about that. No big deal. Really? We should be jumping up and down. If we really knew where we should be, where we've been delivered, and that I have comfort, I have confidence. When I look at myself, when I look at what's going on around me, when I look at what's happening in Israel, when I look at what's happening in in our country, when you see all of this wickedness, vileness that's happening, and I get agitated, where should my eyes be? Fixing your eyes on Jesus. He's seated in heaven right now, and you're with him. Nobody's going to mess with me. Nobody's going to separate me from the love of God, even myself, according to Romans 8. Okay? It should cause us to rejoice. And at the same point in time, to fear in a good way, to respect what Christ has done. A way of saying thank you, isn't it? So, yes, our state apart from Christ, chapter 2, is dead in trespasses and sin, is aliens and separated, but in Christ, we have peace with God. He is our peace. And it's broken down the wall of separation. So, my question to you this morning is are you found in Christ? What's the alternative? If you're not in Christ, what are you? You're against Christ. You understand that? Usually I'll say you're in Adam, but another way of saying it, Jesus says either you're with me or against me. If you're not in him, if you're not trusting in Christ alone for salvation, you're in another kingdom that's against him. Where do you stand? Are you trusting in Christ alone for salvation? Is he your only hope? Are you resting in Christ? John 17.3 says, We have eternal life now. If you're against him, what does he say? Uh, Depart from me. I never knew you. Which word? Paul's point, again, is that we are seated in Christ in the heavenlies right now. We have eternal life It has already begun. It is through Christ's death, resurrection, ascension, and his rule from heaven that we have eternal life now. Christ is our salvation. Christ is our only Savior. Christ is the head of the body. In him we live and move and have our being. So what is the point? Christ is essential for Christianity. Without him there is no Christianity. You understand that? I know, Pastor, we, we know all that. We've, we've heard it so many times before. Or, but is it important to you? Remember that one hymn? Tell me the old, old story. Repeat it over and over again. I need to hear it again and again. Is familiarity breed contempt? Oh, I know this stuff. No. By grace you have been saved. Thank you, Lord, for the grace of Christ. Secondly, second point, the body of Christ is essential. Again, Jesus uh, or Paul through through uh, uh, Paul says we are seated in Christ in heavenly places. Christ is not only seated in the heavenly places, but here in our text, what is he doing? What has he done? Look at in verse 7, but to each one of us, notice that, to each one of us, who's the us, it's the church, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Christ has given gifts. He's given the gift of salvation, but he's given other gifts as well. I don't know about you, but I do receive gifts. Do you? You like it when someone cares enough to show you something, to give you something, especially something you need? So, what has he done? What is the gift? Well, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, we are created in Christ Jesus for good works. That's a gift that God created you. You are his poema. You're his work of art. That's a gift to be created with a particular purpose in mind. You're his masterpiece, and he is declaring and revealing his glory through your life and through you. Is that a gift? Did he have to do it? Did someone pull the gun to his head and say that you have to make this person your masterpiece? No. He did it because he loves you. Created in Christ Jesus unto good works. In chapter 2, verse 19, look at it again. We're talking about the church as a whole. He says, Now therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. So, number one, he's created you to be part of the house. You're in his family, he's your father. He's given you the ability to say, Abba, Father, and and God to say, Yes, my son. Yes, my daughter. What would you like? What's wrong? What's up? He goes on to write, Having been built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building, being fitted together, grows. That's an interesting How does a building grow? How does it go? No, I mean, this, this physical building, the only way it's going to grow is if we add to it, right? But he's talking of something that is organic, just like your body grew from being a little bitty baby to being an adult or an older child, right? He's talking about an organic growth of the building, the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord in whom you are being built together for a dwelling place of God. in Spirit. As Moses built the tabernacle, as Solomon built the temple, so the Holy Spirit is building the church as a dwelling place of God. Is that a gift, to be part of a greater thing than you will ever be in this life? I'm working, I'm saving money, I'm preparing for retirement, I'm doing these things, I'm taking care of my family, all these sort of things. But what's the ultimate purpose of life? It isn't, he who dies with the most toys wins. Did you ever see that bumper sticker? Years ago, I remember that one. He who dies with the most toys wins. No. We have a greater purpose, and it's a gift. We are a habitation of the Spirit of God. God. You and I are part of the Holy of Holies, where the high priest could not enter in. But Yet we are that building. God dwells with us, in us. We are a habitation of the Spirit. He goes on to say in chapter 3, verse 10, to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church, Two, principalities and powers in the heavenly places. We talked about this before. You and I are the university of the angels. The angels learn about God by watching him deal with us. The manifold grace of God, the many-hewn grace of God, mercy, a wisdom of God, is revealed to the angels through the church. Isn't that an amazing thought? The angels are right now up there taking notes watching you, watching what God is doing through the church. We are declaring, we are that school, declaring and revealing, making known by the church to the principalities and powers. is an amazing? You now, it's again, the church. We is the church. Uh, verse 21 of chapter 3. I'm sorry, of chapter, yeah, of chapter 3. To him be glory... In the church, by Christ Jesus, to all generations, forever and ever. Amen. To him be glory. God is glorified in the church of Christ, Jesus. Is that a privilege? Is that why we are here, to glorify God? Is God glorified through the church? Is glo- God glorified for a, by a bunch of failures? <laughs> yes. By grace, not by works, even our works are tainted, but yet God, through our tainted works still is glorified because it's grace, right? The reward comes not of merit but of grace. But now notice again, the focus is the gift in verse seven, but to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. you ever thought of it this way? The church is Christ's gift. To the world, ever thought of it that way? That what would the world be like without the church, without the gospel, without the restraining work of the Holy Spirit through the church? What would this place be like? It would be hell on earth. There would be no hope. There would be no salvation. It would be hell on earth. The gift of the church to the world, who have been entrusted, what does Paul say? That the church is the pillar and ground of the truth. The pillar, that which exalts the truth. There are many truths out there, but there's only one truth, and that is what God says is true. And the church's call is to to pillar, to hold up and declare the truth. And also, the ground, it means it's not that the truth is grounded on the church, but the church acts as a guardian to protect the, tr- the truth from being attacked by the world, the flesh, and the devil. Did you notice that? It says, the church is the pillar and the guardian of the truth. That's the responsibility of the church. Take the church out of the way, what do you have? every man does that which is right in his own eyes anarchy and destruction the gospel is proclaimed by the truth hope to the world is proclaimed by the truth by the church the church is christ's gift to the world according to this passage and the spirit of god is christ's gift to the church and that gift has been distributed. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Two sets of gifts here. Gift number one is found in verse 11. And he himself, notice that he double, he double pronouns it, he himself gave Some to be apostles, prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, teachers, pastor-teachers, however you want to. So there's offices, verse 11. And then gift number two is in verses 7, 12, and 16. Focus on 12. For the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Also verse 16 from whom the whole body, joined and knitted together by what every joint supplies, according to the effect of working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. In other words, Christ has given offices to equip the saints or to enhance the other gift, the gifts that are given to every one of us. We function as a body. Now, now there's a, I, I could spend time on that. Well, what about apostles and prophets and evangelists? Are they still going on today? There are some people that claim to be apostles today. What would you say if I got up here and said, I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ? I hope you would rebuke me. Why? Are there apostles walking around today? Why do we need apostles now? if the Bible wasn't sufficient? Well, Paul just said in chapter 2, what? That the apostles and prophets are the foundation of the church. The church has been founded on the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ, the chief cornerstone. So is there a need for more apostles? Like the Mormon church that has her 12 apostles. Do we need the vicar of Christ from Rome speaking and adding to the Bible. No, there's no more apostles. they are fulfilled their job. What about the prophets? Again, do we need prophets? People walking around saying, I'm a prophet of God, and I can take over this pulpit and tell you all what to do. Is that going on today? No, we have the word of God. What about evangelists? He's not talking about Billy Graham. Talking about someone that was a missionary that came in and established New Testament churches, like Paul, like Timothy and Titus, are they still around today? The answer is no. Are there pastors still and teachers? The answer is yes. That's my job, right? That's the job of pastors and teachers. But notice what the job is, the gifting of the church with pastors is to do what? Oh, it says the pastor is supposed to do everything, right? We hired you, pastor, and you're supposed to do everything in the church. You're supposed to do the work of the ministry. Is that what Paul is saying here? Huh? Are there churches that think that way? That they hire the pastor to do everything? Is that what Paul is saying here? No. What does he say? Verse 11. Verse 12. For the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry. So who does the ministry? The church does. You do. I do as a member of the church. You do as a member of the church. My job is to equip you to do the work of ministry. If you're not doing work of ministry, I am failing. Come talk to me, please. Okay? We are called together and we all have gifts. And God has chosen to use you and use me in the gifts that God has given. Some of you are are very faithful in those gifts. Some of those gifts are things that you don't see, like prayer. How many of you have been praying this month for your pastor? It sounds kind of selfish, but supposedly this month is what? Pastor Appreciation Month, right? At least you pray for your pastors. What does Paul do over and over again, Say, pray for me, pray for me? The number one thing you can do for your pastor, do for your elder, do for your leaders, is to pray. That is the most precious gift that you can do. And we can all do that, right? We've all been given access and ability to pray. That's one of the many gifts. But what does he say again? Equipping the saints for the work of of service, of ministry, so that the body of Christ would be edified until we all grow up. We all come to the unity of the faith. That we should no longer be children scattered about and being tricked and everything else, but growing up speaking the truth in love. That's the calling of the pastor, is to help you to grow up, mature, why do you think I spend time on Wednesday evenings talking about Bible study methods? Because I want you to be able to feed yourself. The church is united in Christ, and we are commanded to endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, chapter 4, verse 3. One is the key word in the first six verses. Our unity in Christ, he is the head. He's not a mere man. It is Christ and Christ alone who, who unifies the body, but we are called to follow him. And then notice again, coming back to that third point, and we're running out of time, the third point is not only is Christ essential, the body of Christ as, as a whole is essential, but you, each member of the body of Christ, is essential. And I've kind of been driving on that one. We are joined and, and knit together, he says, by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its its share, and it causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. What happens if you're working with a saw and you cut off a part of your finger? I don't think anybody here has ever done that. I had a a neighbor back uh, back in Lodi, California, and he was working with a saw, and he cut off three or four of his fingers. And then they rushed him to the hospital, and they reattached those fingers to his hand. But they never worked the same. He lost the ability that he used to have as a strong individual. What happens when you lose a finger, or a portion of a finger, does it affect the whole body? Or is it just there, that finger? No, it affects the whole body from then on. Well, each of us are part of that body. And what happens if part of us is injured, one of us is injured? It affects the whole body. We're called to weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice, right? Because it, we are interconnected. We are one body in Christ. It's not just the pastor. It's not just the elders. Every person is essential to the body of Christ. Isn't that true in a family? Is the father essential in a family? Is the mother essential in the family? Oh, yes. Mom ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. Uh, uh, is, uh, is, are the children essential or important? Yes. Everyone in the family is important. What about grandparents? Are grandparents important? Unfortunately, in our culture today, grandparents are just thrown away, right? They're useless in many, many families. There's such wisdom packed up in the, in those grandparents. Do you appreciate your grandparents? I still wish I would have asked my dad many questions about the war. You guys love my, war, my dad's war stories, right? I wasn't smart enough to ask him other questions that you asked me that I wish I would have remembered. While you have an opportunity, talk to your grandparents. Learn from them. Spend time with them. Appreciate them. There are many, many things, many treasures that God has given you. Gifts that God has given you in your family. Are they essential? Are they important? And the answer is yes. Even more so in the church. I could go into 1 Corinthians chapter 12. He talks about the gifts. You can look at that or Romans chapter 12. Here's a few. In what ways are you important? Number one, God has given you gifts. You don't know what they are? Start using them. Some of you have the gift of being able to play the piano. Some of you don't. Some of you want to. Use those gifts. Develop them. God has given you the ability. Exercise those gifts with the body. What about attendance? Is attendance an important gift? To the body of Christ your presence here is it important to me what happens if you're not here Do you know what happens to me when you're not here and you haven't communicated that you're not going to be here what did I say on Wednesday was my besetting sin worry what do you think happens to me when I look out and I don't see you there what am I tempted to do if you haven't told me that you're not going to be here, what is my temptation? Worry. Are you okay? Is everything fine? Just like your mother calls you to the Thanksgiving dinner and you don't show up. Does your mother worry about you? Right? So pray for me in that area. But yeah, your attendance is a gift. One of the things that Dan has said is, is that the number of people here affects the preaching. Does that make sense? When we have 60 people here, there's a difference between 60 and 20. Yes, no, have you noticed that? There's a dynamic that changes. Once we hit a certain point, there's a dynamic that changes in, this, in the congregation. Your attendance is essential. Not only if you're not here, but if you are here, you're available To love somebody else. How can you show love to somebody else if you're not there? How can you be used of God to minister to a need if you're at home? Attendance. Tithes and offerings. One of the pastors here in the Northern Plains who's retired says, I will come to any church and preach on tithes and offerings because most pastors won't preach on it because it seems self-serving. So one day we're going to have Reverend Paul Henderson come to church and he's going to preach on tithes and offerings. He's already offered to do so. I'm not going to go into all that, but what uh, does uh, does God own everything? Is the earth the Lord's and the fullness thereof? Does he need your money? You know it's already his. Right? We keep driving that point, right? The money you have is his. You're just called to give a good account for what, as a manager, of what he's given, right? He calls for us to be hilarious givers, cheerful givers. We'll leave it at that. What about look out for one another? Galatians 6.1, if a brother be overtaken in a fault, you that are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness. You see a brother or sister struggling, you come alongside, how can I pray for you? Is everything Okay. Is that our calling, to love one another as Christ has loved him? Uh, Paul writes to the Thessalonians, Warn, comfort, uphold, and be patient. These are all calling. How about encouraging the leadership? Have you ever gone up to Dan and said, Thank you, Dan, for being my elder? Have you ever said that? He's working a full-time job, managing a company. He's got a family. He's a busy man and he sacrifices himself. Do you ever say thank you and encourage him? Do you pray for him? Do you esteem him? Do you submit to him? He's a pretty easygoing guy. He doesn't really ask much of you. But we're called to submit to our elders, encourage one another. In conclusion... Jesus has conquered sin, death, and the devil, and has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. We are therefore to share those gifts in the context of the body of Christ to mutually build up and edify one another. Christ is essential. The body of Christ is essential. You are essential to Christianity.